right, so last week um, we began basically a new competency uh, in our series here. Uh, it's the competency of basically communicating the gospel. And that uh, even I said last week when we started this that I kind of almost wish that um, we had started the entire series with this idea of the gospel. Um, but, you know, we can't go back in time that I know of. And uh, so here we are. So last week we kind of defined, answered the question of what is the gospel? We spent 45 minutes last week really digging into the God's Word and answering the question of what is the gospel? And today we're going to look at basically how to apply the gospel into our lives. Uh, but before we do that, um, I want to kind of go back over what is the gospel. And it's kind of two pictures of this. The first is the gospel on the ground, on an individual level, which is the gospel is good news that God has accomplished our salvation for us through Christ in order to bring us into right relationship with Him and eventually to destroy all the results of sin in the world. Now, the second aspect of the gospel, or way to answer it, is on a universal level, which is the gospel is the good news that accomplished God's purposes throughout the history of the world, where the world came from, what went wrong, and what must happen for it to be mended. This answer can be outlined in creation, fall, redemption, restoration, this universal gospel message. So basically, there are two basic ways to answer the question of what is the gospel. The first on the ground is to offer the good news of how you, how we, can get right with God. This answers the question of what must I do to be saved? Second way is to offer the biblical good news of what God will fully accomplish in history through the work of Jesus. This is to understand the question of what hope is there for the world? This personal and this universal gospel changes everything. I was talking to Ty last week and he had, I thought it was a really good illustration, that the gospel as God defines it, that's, that, that's gospel if we're not clear, um, as God defines it, it's a very narrow road, right? It's, narrow, it's a narrow road. But the implication, what the gospel actually affects, is so wide and broad. And so we tend to think that once we enter this narrow road, that's all that there is to do. But the gospel should lead in this narrow way, this one objective truth of what Christ did for us, leads to all this vast amount of implications. Here's what I mean. The gospel should affect every single area of your life. Your parenting, your marriage, your finances, the way you work, the way you work through sin. Every area of your life should be affected by this singular gospel message. We talked last week as well about how the gospel has two enemies that are both equal and opposite. So we have the gospel right here, and on both ends we fall into issues. On one end, we have religion. On the other end, we have irreligion. This idea that we've got to do whatever we want to do. Hear this. Both of these, religion and irreligion, are enemies and equal enemies of the gospel. What happens here, how do I say this? So we talk about the gospel should affect everything. And this is the power of the gospel to actually change us, correct? And we ask the question many times, and maybe you're asking yourself today, and this is true in my life. 
sometimes it feel, feels like I'm not changing or I'm not different or the gospel doesn't work. And here's what I think is happening is many times we are running to religion to change us. Here's what I mean. If I just do this better, I will change. And that always leads to short-term change that normally leads to guilt or to pride. But it's not this holistic, inside-out kind of change that the gospel brings in our lives. And that's why many times we feel so powerless, because we're turning to a gospel that cannot possibly change us. We say yes to this gospel to save us, but we go to a new gospel here to change us. Does that make sense? And um, we have to be aware of that and be careful about that. So to see how we can apply the gospel to all of life and how it should change and affect everything, we need to see first what the, comp- what the gospel actually accomplished for us. Here's a helpful outline of this accomplishment. It's three things. Um, the first is the Son of God emptied himself and came into the world in Jesus Christ, becoming a servant. This is the incarnation. In the incarnation, Jesus modeled and did a specific thing when he modeled the idea of being a servant. That's the first thing. Second part, he died on the cross as a substitutionary sacrifice. This is the atonement. Jesus literally atoned for the sins that we could not pay for. Does that make sense? He was our atoning sacrifice. Last thing, he rose from the grave as the, first, as the first fruits of a whole renewed world. This is the resurrection. Through his resurrection, he literally began a new kingdom work through his life, death, and resurrection. We're going to walk through these and see what these, these things have accomplished for us and then end our day with walking through a few scenarios of how the, go- the gospel should affect and change us. So our first thought, our first kind of... Um, point today the incarnation the incarnation and the upside down aspect of the gospel what the incarnation did is it instituted this upside down way of life here's what it accomplished it accomplished a new way of life the world has this way right here but through Jesus coming in the way that he came it accomplished a new way of life see Jesus he was a king and our models of king are what they're powerful, aren't they? they? They exert their rule in a certain kind of way through power, through money, through force. Jesus flipped that upside down, correct? And this should lead to us to a reversal of values in his kingdom. Look at Luke 6, uh, chapter 6, uh, verse 20. Luke chapter 6, verse 20. We're going to be in a lot of scripture today, so um, get ready to turn quickly. Luke chapter 6, verse 20. We see a reversal in values here from the world. Verse 20 says, He lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. Verse 24, But woe to you who are rich, 
for you have received your consolation. Verse 25, Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Matthew 19.30 says this, the first shall, But many who are first will be last, and the last first. In Jesus' kingdom, hear this, everything is flipped. The poor, the sorrowful, and persecuted are above the powerful and the rich and the satisfied. And this has huge implications for us. Now go to Philippians 2. Go to Philippians 2 in verse 1. And we answer the question of, of why. Of why are these values flipped upside down? And here's the answer. These kingdom values, they're a way of imitating the pattern of Christ's salvation. Philippians 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. This is a picture of what we should be unified to. Look at verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Do not leave that. That is a complete inverse of the world's values, isn't it? Here's why I know this. Look at our political ads right now. They're as negative and as loud as humanly possible. Because there is this belief that through this power, political power, whatever you want to call it, that we will accomplish God's kingdom work. I see this too. I'm sure you've heard about um, our brother Kanye West coming to faith, which I do not doubt that this man can come to faith in Jesus Christ. The gospel works. The gospel is powerful. But there's this notion that because Kanye West or other celebrities have come to faith, that we Christians now can rejoice like we have finally made it, like God needs powerful people to spread his kingdom. Listen, God has always worked not through these powerful things, but through humble, opposite-of-the-world kind of values. Not celebrity, not power, not money. It is these upside-down kingdom values. Let me keep going. Verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, and here is the key, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's yours when you put your faith in him. And here's what we get. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. There's this thing, we go and serve the hub once a month, and my group's going tonight, and there is this sense when, when we go, there is this sense of feeling superior. I'm just being honest. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just being honest for a moment, so don't judge me, please. Where you're, you're doing this great act for these hurting people, right? And we tend to, first off, that's just prideful. That's the first thing. Second thing, it's nothing in comparison that Jesus is God. He was with God. And it says here, in verse 6, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Look at verse 7. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born the likeness of men. This is the greatest picture of humility that we can even fathom. 
verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, so you see here this humbling, this dying to, to himself, right? Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God and the Father. Though Jesus was rich, he became poor. Though Jesus was powerful, he became weak. He triumphed over sin, not by taking power, but by serving sacrificially. He won through losing everything. This inverts the way the world thinks and the way that we live. This gospel, it creates a new kind of servant community. As we are in Christ and we model what he did, it changes the way that we live. It, cha it, changes, it gives us a new way of being human. A new way of being human. Think about this, this idea of acquiring power or even consumerism, acquiring more and more stuff, or even racism, that we are better than some race, or that we look down on people, or even being some person that looks down on poor people, or, or us yearning for attention through social media. These are all markers of other of this world's values and not of kingdom's values. But here's the deal. Through the upside-down aspect of the gospel, that Jesus became poor even though he was rich, this has huge implications for us today. So the first thing he accomplished was this new way of life, the upside-down gospel. Our second thing he accomplished was he accomplished a new life for us through the atonement and this inside-out aspect of the gospel. So the Pharisees, right, the ones Jesus always kind of was at odds with and all kinds of things, even us today, we tend to overemphasize the externals of following God. We do this, we do that. We look like we're Christians and followers of Jesus. And I will tell you, we spend so much time and energy projecting an image of this thing and all the well, all the time, neglecting the inside of the cup. Listen, the gospel starts with an internal transformation an internal change that leads to external change. 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 1 says this, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Here's the key. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. He was the sacrifice. He was the debt that was paid. It is what He did. Let's keep going. Luke 11, verse 39. This is this picture of how the Pharisees thought. The Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside... You are full of greed and wickedness. You fools. Just for a second. I'm not saying we should do this, but you could say now you Americans. Now you Western church. Now you Bible Belt church. 
Now you Covenant Church. Now you, Jason Wood, cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish. But inside, you are full of greed and wickedness. And this is God calling them, and I believe us today, you fools. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? Listen, we're not in need of better behavior. We're, we're in need of a new heart and a new life. I think you know this. We need to hear it again. And this is promised to us in Ezekiel uh, chapter 36, verse 26. He says here, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It doesn't say he is a little more disciplined or he is better at reading his Bible or he is better at this, that, or this. It says he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. There is this radical sense. We, do, we need to come to Jesus to, be, to have our sins atoned for and to be changed from the inside out. We, we spend so many times trying to be the atoning sacrifice ourselves. That if I just do this better, then I will be made right with God. I believe that atoning sacrifice for my salvation, but I don't believe it can sustain me and change me today. So I go to a new sacrifice every single day, which is my morality. And it never, ever changes me from the inside out. God made us a new creation. And we go to him over and over and over again to continually be remade as a new creation. We don't go back to ourselves. We go back to God over and over and over again. Tim Keller says it this way. Jesus took our place on the cross and accomplished salvation for us, which we receive freely as a gift. Traditional religion teaches that if we do good deeds and follow the moral rules in our external behavior, God will come into our hearts, bless us, and give us salvation. In other words, if I obey, God will love and accept me. But the gospel is the reverse of this. If I know in my heart that God has accepted me and loves me freely by grace, then I can begin to obey out of inner joy and gratitude. Religion is outside in, but the gospel is inside out. It's a subtle shift, but it's a big shift. Religion is outside in, but the gospel is inside out. And once we gain this understanding on the inside, it completely changes how we relate to God, to ourselves and to others. When we truly understand that Jesus paid in full, when he said it is finished, it meant that it was finished. And we don't go to God to get approval. We go to God to get God. That's a huge, huge shift. So we see that Jesus, through the gospel, through his, good, through his, through his life, death, resurrection, he accomplished a new way of life in his upside down kingdom. He accomplished a new life for us by being an atoning sacrifice and changing us from the inside out. But through his resurrection, we get this forward back aspect of the gospel where he accomplished for us a new hope. Through his resurrection, he's given us a new hope. Hear this. 
The coming of King Jesus occurs in two stages. At his first coming, he saved us from the penalty of sin. And he gave us the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's the down payment of the age to come. St. Corinthians says this, uh, St. Corinthians 1, verse 21. Jesus put his seal on us and put a guarantee that he will complete this work. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit and our hearts as a guarantee. Ephesians 1 verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, when you hear the gospel message, the truth, which is the gospel for your salvation, and believed in him, you hear and you believe. It's the essence of being a disciple, is hearing and obeying. You hear and you believed in him. At that moment you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is made known in us, manifest in us through hearing and believing in the gospel. And this Holy Spirit, it seals us. It says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. It's this guarantee of the presence of God and a future hope with God until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And here's what this picture is. It's this picture of, um, like if you're very wealthy, and I don't know if you're very, like, very wealthy, but if you're very wealthy or if you have very wealthy parents and you know you have this inheritance coming, you never really worry about money. You might want more, but you're never worried about going hungry or going homeless or having this or having that because you have the guarantee of this inheritance, right? And that, So that changes the way that a person lives. Even greater than this, that we who through faith receive the Holy Spirit, are then guaranteed an inheritance with God. And hear this, at the end of time, at the second coming, He will come and complete what He began at the first coming, saving us from the dominion and the very presence of sin and evil. He'll take it all away. He will bring a new creation, a material world cleansed of all brokenness, Go to Revelation 21 very quickly. Revelation 21, verse 1. It says here, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city. New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Listen to this right here. Listen, when you feel alone, when you feel hopeless, think about the hope of our inheritance right here in verse 3. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people. Listen, I, I think I guess we're in political seasons. So I keep coming back to this, 
It is so easy to hope for some kind of person to come and make things right right now in our country, in our city, in our state. That's not wrong. It's not, I'm telling you, it's not wrong at all to, do, to, think, to want that. It's a good and a right thing. But I want to remind you there's an ultimate hope that one day our true shepherd will be here with us. And hear this. We'll be his people. This is why our citizenship is not in this world or in this country. Our citizenship is in heaven with God. That is our ultimate citizenship. Let's keep going. God himself will be with them as their God. Verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And here is the hope of the gospel, is that we live right now in the hope of that reality. This is the hope and faith of things unseen. That the transforming aspect of the gospel, the forward the forward picture of the gospel, then we come back to our reality, is this hope right here. This means we simultaneously have hope that God will make everything right in the darkest of circumstances. This is why those who put faith in Christ and his, in the future inheritance can walk through cancer with great hope. It's why those who might lose all of our money, lose all of our standing, can still have great hope because we know we believe in a future inheritance. That means that we should live as the most hopeful people in this world. And many times, we don't live this aspect of the gospel. We live as the most negative people in the world. While, yes, things in this time, in this world, there is this darkness right now. But we know of our Savior, King Jesus, will return and make all things new and right. And we know that through the guarantee of the Holy Spirit of this inheritance. But this also means, because of this great hope, we begin this kingdom work right now. Which means when the church of Jesus Christ is present in the world, it should reflect what God's kingdom looks like here in 2019. That is why us in 2019 should not be okay with there being orphans, or with widows not being cared for, or with the poor being hungry, or with there being this and that. It should lead, or why we should not be okay with, with sin permeating our culture, because we know God's kingdom is coming, and in God's kingdom there is hope for every person. He'll wipe away every tear from their eye, but we begin that kingdom work right now. That is the beautiful impact of this forward back gospel. Listen, the gospel accomplished everything for us. I hope we see this big, holistic picture of the gospel. We see first this upside down nature of the gospel where Jesus emptied himself on behalf of us. And now by believing in him, we have this Holy Spirit to go and do likewise, correct? In Christ, we go and do likewise. But also, we have this idea of the inside-out gospel, where there is no longer an atoning sacrifice needed. That happened once and for all through Christ. 
and that through putting our hope and our faith in Him, we become a new creation over and over and over again. But also, He gave us great hope through what He did. And He gave us the Holy Spirit as this guarantee, this down payment on our future inheritance that we must go to over and over and over again. Hear this. I am convinced that one of the greatest holes in our gospel and discipleship is that we never look forward. We never look forward. We look, we look to this day and age all of the time. And yes, there are a myriad of problems in our world today. But friends, we should have this great hope that only comes through us looking forward. From this gospel, this should affect every part of our life as we follow Jesus. Tim Keller says this, It is more accurate to say that we are saved by believing the gospel, and then, here's the key, we are transformed in every part of our minds, hearts, and lives by believing the gospel more and more deeply as life goes on. Here's what that means. If you believe even deeper today than you did yesterday that you had an atoning sacrifice, or if you believe in a deeper way that Christ humbled himself and we go and do likewise, if you believe in a deeper way of our future inheritance, that will change the way you live today. What we tend to do instead is we, we, we try to change what we live apart from what Jesus has already done for us. And we just, we, we get off. Romans 12, 1 says this. You've probably heard this before. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Philippians 1, verse 6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Here's the big point today. We follow Jesus by trusting his gospel, not religion and not irreligion. And this is where we fail. Here's what happens many times for us. As we try to apply religion in our lives as the power to transform us. We apply religion, and here's what happens. This is true in my life and your life, I believe. We apply religion, and it does not work. And we're left hopeless and wanting and anxious and tired. So we then run not to the gospel. We then run to irreligion. I can't tell you how many times people have tried religion, given it up, and gone to say, you know what, I'm going to do what I want to do. And I'm going to save my life in this world. And I'm not going to worry about the next life or the next world. I'm going to do what I want to do right now because this right here doesn't work. And here's the truth. On some level, they're right because this does not work. This does not transform. This has no power to make you whole and to make you new. So we give up and we run to this right here. And here's my, 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 what I'm going to implore us today to do. To run to the gospel. To run to the fact that Jesus came, emptied himself out, was obedient to the point of death, died on a cross as the atoning sacrifice for me and for you to change us from the inside out and then send his Holy Spirit to be a guarantee of our inheritance so we can look forward to our future inheritance and that can change the way that we live. 
So I want to end our time today walking through just a few examples of how we can apply the gospel in our lives. So imagine, um, who, here is, who here battles discouragement every, every once in a while? Discouragement. Anybody in this room? Discouragement? Religion says when you're discouraged, what, what you need to do is just work on your behavior. If you just build some better habits, maybe you should work out more. And these aren't wrong things. You should read your Bible more. You should do this. You should do that. Those aren't wrong things. But they don't have the power to transform and change you. Now, irreligion says just work on your emotions. Try and feel better. It's all about you. Maybe do what you want to do. Have a you day. And that will just make you not be discouraged, right? The gospel says embrace repentance. Because many times where there is discouragement, there is an idol. Here's what I mean. Many times we're discouraged because we're putting our hope in something that can't possibly sustain us. So the gospel leads us to deep, heart-based repentance. Or think about relationships, whether you're married or you're dating someone. Um, Religion becomes a blame game because that person's always sinning and you're always sinning and you're blaming each other for your sin. Because you should be these moral right people, but your spouse is never a moral right person, correct? Don't say yes. Um, So we just blame the other person. Now, irreligion says this right here. It is all about you. It's all about your needs, that this relationship should benefit you. And if it's not, you should leave. Now, religion will have you stay in a relationship because because you should do this, not because of the, the gospel or what God has done. Now, the gospel, when it comes to our relationships, it leads us to selfless sacrifice. Why, why is that? Because we are taking on the humility of Christ, correct? And if we have the humility of Christ, there will be this selfless sacrifice in our marriages and relationships that happen through belief in the gospel. Think about our families, our parents, our siblings. It's a huge source of contention in our lives, right? Religion says we're a slave to family expectations. We have to do the right thing and always please them, say yes to everything so that they'll be okay with us and never get upset with us. Now, irreligion says this right here. I have no need for family. I'm going to do what I want to do. They're not going to bother me. I'll just tell them no. I'll just ghost them. I answer their phone calls or their texts. But the gospel leads us to freedom because God is our father. We have nothing to prove to our family, to our parents, to our siblings, others around because God is our Father. He has accepted us. He sent an atoning sacrifice and changed us from the inside out. So now we're free to love. We're free to say no because our family is not our God, correct? The gospel leads to change. Think about self-control. All of us on some level deal with self-control, whether it's through eating or spending money or doing this, doing that. Religion says that we should be controlled out of fear. That if we do wrong, God will not love us because our functional salvation is doing right, so God will love us, right? Now, irreligion says this right here. Self-expression is ultimate. And what that means is what you want to do, who you are, is the ultimate thing, and nobody gets in the way of that. You do you is their idea of self-control. Now, the gospel, through faith in the gospel, belief in what Christ has done through the inside out, should change our affections. Not overnight, but through believing the gospel deeper and deeper and deeper, over time, you will see your affections changed. Or think about witnessing, declaring the gospel. 
Religion has us witness out of guilt. That I have to share my faith or I'm going to feel guilty because that's what I'm supposed to do. That's the whole basis of our faith, that we do these things to make ourselves right with God, including witnessing. Now, irreligion says we shouldn't witness to anybody because whatever you believe is what you believe. Don't share that with me. That is useless. But the gospel has us witness out of love. And here's why. If we truly are putting our hope and our faith in the future of what God's going to do, how can we not share that good news with others? God has changed us and given us this great hope for the future. How can we let our neighbors not share in that hope? We witness then out of love. Listen, the gospel changes everything. And then our goal as a people is to put our faith in that gospel deeper and deeper and deeper. Here's four steps for you this week. Four risk events. The first thing, it's on your sheet. Take time to truly wrestle with where you are not applying the gospel to all of life. Where in your life are you turning to religion or you've just given up and you're doing what you want to do? Where in your life is that? Second thing, meditate on the scriptures from this week's guide and rehearse the gospel to yourself. Just go through these scriptures and just reverse this inside-out nature of the gospel, the upside-down nature of the gospel, the forward-back nature of the gospel. Rehearse this to yourself and begin to believe and hope in it in a deeper way. Third thing, share your struggles with applying the gospel with someone else this week. There is great beauty in confession in other people. Share your struggles with somebody else this week. And last, help someone else apply the gospel to all their life. Help someone else. Begin to practice yourself. Helping someone else see the beauty of the gospel. And next week we'll have a, a very special time as we, um, we have a, a PAL missionary. He'll be in our class next week to share with us what's going on over there in uh, Southeast Asia. So it'll be great. Thank you very much.